Our, our scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, the first 25 verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be here again. Good to be with everyone here again this morning. Um, I want to speak this morning about holiness. 
Uh, I'm going to say holy, the word holy. I'm going to refer to that word in holiness a lot. So hopefully by the end of this, you'll understand that, that holiness isn't reserved for cows or crows or mackerel or any such creatures. Um, so, so I've split my message into, into three parts, just so it's easy for you to track through where I'm at in each individual part. First part will be our Holy Father. Second part will be the holiness of Christ. And the third part is, what are we to do about it? So I just want to start by, again, reading uh, from Hebrews 10, the first seven verses. For since the law has been, sorry, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, But a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So, this passage kind of primarily is about God's ultimate solution for the problem of sin. Like, the the entire uh, chapter of Hebrews is about that. It, It talks about... Uh, the establishment of the sacrificial system, and eventually it talks about uh, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, Ever since Satan came with his lies to Adam and Eve in the garden, and since they chose to believe those lies and disobeyed God, so we as well on a daily basis make certain choices out of our sinful nature to disobey God. We're We're no different than they are. It's not like we look back at them and go, oh, I wish they wouldn't have done that because that would have changed who I am today. No, we would have done the same thing. Because of the perfect holiness of God, something needed to be done about the sin problem in humanity. So this is where in in, uh, the nation of Israel, God established the system of sacrifices. A payment needed to be made for the sin that was committed. Why was that payment necessary? I just want to really dig into to the reason behind that. I want to dig into what God's holiness really is and why, why sin requires a payment. Holiness is an attribute of God that describes how perfect he is. He is the essence of of moral purity, and that he is perfectly free from sin. He never struggles with sin or even temptation. As a matter of fact, he's not able to because of his perfect holiness. Like He, he does not have within himself the ability to sin, to commit evil. <clears throat> God is never uncertain about the right thing to do as we are at times. There's times where we're faced with a decision. We don't know which way to go. And maybe, maybe even we do know which way to go, but we actually we refrain from going there because of what it might cost us. 
Or, or we may have too much pride to actually go there and, and follow through and obey. God doesn't have this problem. He's never uncertain about what the right thing is to do. He's had a plan since the beginning. That plan is called his will. He knows exactly what that is. I believe we can interpret God's knowing of all things at all times as his holy will. It is his plan for for the world from before time began. We often struggle with knowing what we need to do about a certain situation. And then sometimes even knowing the right answer, we are reluctant as a result of sinful pride. But God doesn't have this problem. He always acts out of his pure and perfect character. We might be caught in an impure thought pattern or tell a lie and be frustrated by that, but God never experiences that. God doesn't regret something he's done that was wrong. Because we acknowledge God as holy, this becomes our standard of living as Christians. We recognize that he deserves all of our worship, and in our worship, we acknowledge the purity of who he is. That's, I mean, that's the essence of our worship. We worship him because he is so much purer than we are. We don't, we don't deny his holiness. Um, this guy named Stephen Charnock, a 17th century theologian, said, It is less injury to him to deny his being than to deny the purity of it. The one who makes him no God, the other a deformed, unlovely, and a detestable God. He that saith God is not holy speaks much worse than he that saith there is no God at all. I mean, it's bad enough to deny God's existence, but to acknowledge his existence and then call him unholy, that that wouldn't work very well. Regardless of what attribute of God we choose to praise him for, That attribute is so great because of his holiness. How great would his power be if it wasn't holy? How great would his mercy be if it wasn't holy? How great would his wisdom be if it wasn't holy? None of these attributes can truly exist without his holiness. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, refers to God's holiness as his crowning attribute. As great as it is to acknowledge God's holiness, we need to go a step further and also acknowledge that God demands holiness from us. God's disassociation with sin requires us to do the same. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk is aware of God's adverseness to the presence of evil. God does not excuse sin in our lives. I think sometimes I catch myself thinking that what God's grace looks like is that he he slackens his, his demand of holiness over our lives in order that we're okay with him. He sort of relinquishes his, his standard to make us okay. But that's not how God's grace works. As if he were to choose to turn and look the other way and go, you just do that, I'll, I'll be over here looking this way. Yep, you go ahead. That's, that's not how God operates. We know this isn't true 
because in in Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God actually hates sin. And that's a strong word, but I believe it's necessary to convey that truth. The more we ourselves grow in holiness, the more we realize our hate for sin as well, even the smallest ones. God's holiness will highlight even our most minor indiscretions. We might choose to modify truth in certain situations where we feel we have no choice. It seems like a minor thing. Or we might even get used to some of the sins we commit. But in regards to holiness, this is not acceptable. It doesn't change how God feels about them. So here again is another quote from from Jerry Bridges from his book, The Pursuit of Holiness. The holiness of God is an exceedingly high standard, a perfect standard. But it is nevertheless one that he holds us to. He cannot do less. While it is true that he accepts us solely through the merit of Christ, God's standard for our character, our attitudes and actions is, be holy because I am holy. We must take this seriously if we are to grow in holiness. So this, this might start, be starting to feel weighty. Like I'm, I'm hitting this home with a pretty heavy hammer. Um, I, I think this is... This is, this is where God's solution to the problem of sin is such good news. It's when we realize, we are aware of, our, of how, how far we fall from the mark of, of God's holy standard. That's, that points us in the direction of the gospel. So this takes, this takes us to our, ne- to our next point here, the holiness of Christ. So as a result of God's standard, the need arose for some kind of purification from sin. As we read in the first part of Hebrews 10 here, this sacrificial system which was in a way portrayed as, as uh, lacking. It was not able to take those sins away. It was, it was a, a payment for the sins that, com- that were committed, but it was not able to remove the sin from, from these people. It was a blood payment that was required as a payment for sin. Therefore, a sacrifice of animals. We see this explained, as I, as I read earlier. Verse 4 says, it, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is where Jesus and his perfect atonement for sin comes into the story. Verse 7 again, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus comes to solve the problem of sin as part of the plan from before the beginning of time. In his desire to come and do the Father's will, he fulfills payment for sin and makes a way toward holiness. See, Christ's sacrifice, his payment for sin, actually removes sin 
sin from us. This did not come from his excitement about either taking on humanity or going to the cross, but simply his desire and his motive to do the Father's will. So remember the definition we we discussed earlier about um, God's will being his knowing of all things at all times and his plan from before time. He knew that the human race would fall. (coughs) Sorry. And develop this issue called sin that would require an ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Some of you can grab me a glass of water to be good. <clears throat> now, Jesus coming to do God's will wasn't only his sacrifice on the cross, although that is a major part of it, it was also the life that he led. So, Jesus' example and the way he lived serves as an example to us on what holiness and submission to the will of God.